Better and Longer with the Fitness Show, hosted by fitness expert, author, and TV personality, Fitz Kohler. She'll tell you why diets are dumb, supplements are snake oil, and the truth about how you can earn a lean, hard, pain-free, and athletic body. Now for our favorite bossy blonde, Fitz Kohler. expert from fitness.com and welcome to the fitness show today i am very excited to have probably my fanciest race director of all the race directors i work for he is um a big fancy pants in the industry very smart very talented very tall very handsome very funny he's got a lot of varies to his resume, but um, I love him to death. So welcome, Doug Thurston. Uh, excuse me, Fitz. I think you have the wrong number. Uh, <laughs> there's parts of that that I don't think adequate, uh, describe me in any way, shape, or form. But uh, but I'm happy to be here and and happy to um, to chat with you. Yeah, you know what I um I was thinking about who would be a great guest and. You know, working in the running industry, I don't think I could have found a better guest than you. Because you, even though you're not elder, you're kind of the elder statesman of all the race directors. Well, <laughs> there are certainly, <laughs> once again, you leave me speechless, Fitz. Um, uh, I have a feeling this that could be the theme for the, yeah. for the next uh, half hour or so. Welcome um, to the Fitz Thank you, thank you for the for the Fitz uh, uh, silent uh, treatment. Uh, I have been in the race industry for a long time. Um, there are certainly some that have been here longer and and who are older, but um, I have been in the full time race production management, communication, journalism, anything to do with with road racing for thirty four years. So so that's that's. I've been around the block a few times. Yeah, you definitely have. And one of the things that I find when we go to the Running USA conference, and so for the people out there who don't know what that is, that's the annual conference for race organizers and all the people who work within race, the race industry. And you are the one everybody tips their hat to. I don't even know if you recognize that because you're so humble, but you are on a big pedestal. Uh speechless once again I, I i'm not aware of that so uh so that's that's kind of, of folks to uh to say um uh there's a lot of great people in the industry and and running usa is a, is a trade group of race directors vendors contractors suppliers um, uh governing body officials etc and i think one of the wonderful things about race directing as a as a career is the uh collaborations and partnerships with other events um we're really i i don't think too many of us view other races as competition directly um we all want to uh, maintain a high standard we all want to improve our events we all want to learn from other events um and i i think i just echo you know the way others feel about that that it's about what can we do to, um, you know, the rising boat lifts all the ships and a rising tide lifts all the ships. <laughs> Something like that. Sorry. <laughs> Something like that. Here, we'll edit that one again. The rising tide lifts all the ships, and I think uh, that's certainly true in this industry. So, you know, the the uh, respect of your peers is, is uh, there, there is there are a few higher honors, so so I'm touched by by that comment. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, we'll go over the work you've done, and and as an athlete, you're quite accomplished too. But um, I've had a few race directors at that conference. You know, they kind of were sniffer, sniffing around, asking me about announcing for them, and I I said, you know, I I host the big Sur Marathon in Monterey Bay half, and. There was a couple that went straight to you, and within three and a half minutes came straight back. They said, Doug Thurston said, hire you, so I am. So your clout certainly has helped me a whole bunch. Well, just giving credit where credit's deserved. Um, you add a lot to an event. You've added a lot to our events, and it's easy for me to share that with others. Um, um, so ha 
happy to do that. Well, you're very sweet. But that's probably one of the things we should reference right off the bat, folks, is, yes, he's fancy in many ways, but he is the race director for the Big Sur International <clears throat> Marathon and the Monterey Bay Half Marathon and um, running the name of love and Salinas, Salinas Valley, right? Is it Salinas? It is Salinas. Yeah, we have, uh, yes, the, the Big Sur Marathon Foundation, our, our nonprofit organization, um, based in Carmel, California. We have four race weekends a year. Our, our namesake is the Big Sur uh, Marathon, which is the last Sunday in April. And that particular event has six different race distances contained within uh, a Saturday-Sunday weekend. But the, we have a small 5K in Carmel-by-the-Sea. We have a um, small 800 to 1,000 person 5K, 800 to 1,000 person half marathon in the Salinas Valley. Um, and then we have our other flagship event, which is our Monterey Bay Half Marathon, which this year is on Veterans Day, November 11th. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're proud of our events. And, and uh, can most people know of us as the Big Sur Marathon, but we're more than just a marathon. Yeah, you are. And I'm, I'm lucky to do the two larger events. And they're just – for the, the location is beautiful. And obviously the uh, marathon course is – hard to beat i mean i think there's maybe a couple of arguments in the country but for the most part it's fairly unanimous that the big sur marathon course course is the most beautiful but uh everything about your events just have a little extra touch of class yet they're relaxed and fun they just feel good well we we have a good committee for sure and and that um i guess has been honed over three decades. Uh, this 2018 was our 33rd event, um, so we have a lot of practice at uh, at providing, you know, building this race weekend experience. Um, in, in a nutshell, we try to put on a race that's worthy of our uh, spectacular scenery, um, because the central coast of California, right along the ocean, etc., is pretty dramatic, um, and um, so we just want to you know, build on what people will get between the start and the finish with what they get when they get into town, what they get at the finish line, um, what they get, uh, you know, at the pasta dinner at the expo, um, you know, after, you know, the post-race award ceremony, all of that. And, and what they get in terms of announcers. Well, right. Right. Fits. right. Well, I'm lucky yeah. to be there with Rudy and we certainly, uh, we just have so much fun because there's nothing to worry about with your races. I mean, it's just from the second we arrive, your your VIP party is always very nice. But running with the or hosting the kids, your your kids events are extraordinary. You do a great job of being bringing out um, families and schools on your Saturday events, and um, they're just uptown, Doug. You are uptown, and then your whole board of directors, all the Blue Jackets. I want to take them all home with me when I go back home to Florida. And next time you, next time you have an event I'm at, you're going to show up Monday and it's going to be empty because I will have stolen your staff and your crew. Well, I'm uh, I'm very fortunate to to um, kind of be the be the leader of such a uh, dedicated group of of folks who are committed to the runner experience. And um, you know, our our mission statement is very simple: uh, we create beautiful events. Uh, that improve the health and fitness of our community. And, and everybody is on the same page on that. And beautiful can be defined in many different ways, but uh, besides just, just the course, again, everything that you hopefully experience from the time you come into town to the time you leave. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be involved with this organization. Yeah, well, you do an extraordinary job leading that charge and everybody knows it and your board gushes over you when i'm there so everybody loves doug thurston Shh. so we're gonna go back a little bit because before you became i'm guessing it's before you became a race now a race director you were an athlete i've read i did some research it says you've done over 600 races is that true i think so i i, I kind of don't keep track anymore but uh, but uh last time i you know started or uh, the I used to have them all written down. I probably have, I mean, I still have all that list, but I've just stopped officially adding to it years ago. Um, and I don't race that often anymore. But back in my 20s and 30s, I was, like a lot of people, running, you know, 20, 25, 
30 races a year, neighborhood 5Ks, 10Ks, several marathons, half marathons, etc. Then I got into triathlons and, and uh, um, they were called back then biathlons, you know, run uh, bike events. Um, so back in, you know, I was younger, faster, uh, uh, you know, had darker hair. Uh, I, I did wait, a lot more racing. Wait, uh, darker hair? Now I, I, I do... Yeah, I do. I do less racing now, uh, but I guess that 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 total is still up there, and probably six hundred by now or something. So one of the things that I'm most impressed by by your early years were the shorty shorts and the mustache for racing. Yeah, well, that kind of came with the territory <laughs> in the '80s. Uh, <laughs> um, I think when you see start line pictures. Uh, uh, you know, course pictures, finish line pictures of a lot of guys back in the 80s. We kind of had the Tom Selleck mustache thing going mm-hmm. and uh, those short nylon shorts. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how uh, how we got away with those, uh, but that's what, that's what everybody did. And, you know, women had their the things that they did back then, the big hair, the, the uh, you know, Jane Fonda type headbands and uh, the clothes have come a long way. Let's put it that way. Running, uh, the technical running gear has come a long way in the last 30 years. Now, thank you, goodness for it. Do you ever wish you could go back for just one weekend and do that look again just once? I, I, I wish I would have kept some of that stuff because it would it would still fit me um, because I my weight's pretty much the same as it was then. And at least one day a year, uh, you know, Halloween, I could pull some of that out and... and um, I have seen uh, people doing uh, 80s-themed runs with 80s music and, you know, tie-dye and neon and things like that. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not sure I could handle the short shorts uh, from the from the day. Uh, I beg to differ. I don't differ. know how I handled it then, uh, <laughs> but uh, but it might it, it might be fun. Yeah, I would like to see that. I would come and run that race with you. You would kick my tush because you're so much faster than me, but I would I would struggle hard to keep up with you if there were shorty shorts and a mustache involved. I would do shorty well, shorts on- and a mustache, too. Well, only if you uh, poofed up your hair uh, like you wore it in the 80s. Uh, and uh, and we played Flock of Seagulls yes. and, and uh, Duran Duran and had the soundtrack appropriate yeah, for that you, generation. I would bust out a leotard for you. Awesome. You could pull out the Jane Fonda look. That would be great. Worse yet, I hosted a TV show. Well, it wasn't the 80s. It was the 90s, but I wore leotards on television for years. Mortifying. Uh, that 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 is kind of a scary thought. Is that horrific? Oy. But yeah. I don't know. We could still, I think we could own it. Own it great. So how did you get into endurance sports? Well, my athletic background... Uh, I, I was always athletic. Uh, um, I think the first trophy I won, I was 10 years old, and, and I still have it, and it uh, was the Cub Scout Olympics, so, oh. you know, running, throwing, jumping thing. I know, it sounds cute, doesn't it? Yes. Um, I was I was uh, physically large for my age. Um, uh, I was six foot tall when I was 12, and, and I... Uh, I went to my maximum height uh, of six foot four when I was about 15 um, and played a lot of basketball in high school and a little bit in college, small high school, small college. I, I don't want to misrepresent myself as, you know, that the, uh, <laughs> um, you know, the NBA was calling. Sure. Uh, they definitely were not. But um, as part of the preparation for basketball season each year, as I got into high school, was running cross country and and I'd always had a you know a little bit of running talent you know I could run a six minute mile that kind of thing maybe a little faster as I got into high school but I didn't specialize in running it was just something I did to stay in shape and um, and I had a little bit of talent uh, but after not playing much basketball in college uh, even for a small school. Um, I got involved in running road races, mainly because my dad was running road races. And he would be doing, yeah, and he was doing 5Ks, 10Ks, and I can remember going to races with him. I was living out of state with with my my mom at the time, but um, I remember doing my, I think it might have been my first road race, and I know I'm never going to live this down with you, Fitz, but I think I was in uh, jean cutoffs, basketball shoes, uh, baggy uh, tube socks, Perfect. and like a cotton, uh, like a cotton tank top. Uh, you know, 
know. I like it. I, I look like, I know, I look <laughs> like I was, you know, right out of a, a, an 80s movie or a 70s movie. <laughs> At least. Uh, but my dad, my dad was already doing road races back then, so I just kind of joined him for 5Ks, 10Ks. Um, and then after the basketball career, such as it was, kind of came to an end. I had some knee issues that bothered me playing basketball that didn't bother me running. And I, I bought my first pair of actual running shoes. Before in cross-country, everything I did was off-road, so I had spikes. And uh, But when I started to actually run road races, I thought, well, there are these things called actual running shoes now. And I think I bought my first pair in 1979. Um, and then that's when I really, I just love the atmosphere of road races. Um, I was living in Oklahoma at that time. I finished, uh, I have an undergraduate degree from the University of Oklahoma, a bachelor's degree in journalism. Um, and it was a very healthy running community in uh, the state of Oklahoma. So there were races all the time wow. and good quality events. And for a lot of people, that's really the spark. If you have an interest in something and you have uh, the opportunity to participate and you have a good experience, the events are well organized and um, you know, this was kind of that first running boom in the early 80s. Um, yes, we, we wore clothes that look a little ridiculous now, but um, it was new. It was fun. Races were popping up all over the place. And that's that's kind of where I directed my energy and resources at. Uh, and it, 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 by 1984, I had uh, a job in the running industry editing a running magazine, a statewide running, running magazine in Oklahoma, again, combining my background in journalism with my interest in running, and that led to race directing, eventually directing the largest race at the time uh, called the Tulsa Run in the state of Oklahoma, and that led to bigger and better offers to move to other races around the country, and 34 years later, I'm still uh, ordering toilets and <laughs> figuring out how many T-shirts to order and, and uh, uh, you know, the same basic things I've done for over three generations, uh, three decades. Well, you know, it's interesting you start pointing those things out because I don't think most runners show up in, to an event and have any clue of what's actually involved with putting on a race. So it's toilets, it's t-shirts. What else? Give me the laundry list. Oh my goodness. Uh, I mean, so much of it is, is, uh, behind the scenes, permitting, course design, police, public safety, traffic control, uh, venue management, you know, parking lot reservations and insurance certificates and infrastructure like tents and tables and chairs and toilets and water and trash and, uh, you know, all the different things. Uh, I've likened it sometimes to um, I'm a general contractor building a house and I'm starting with just an empty lot and I have to put all the right people with all the right talents and all the right resources um, and, and design things in such a way that when you're done race day every that's a beautiful home and you open the front door and everybody walks in um and that that's kind of the analogy that a lot of people can relate to with whether it's a marathon or or a shorter race um we're just kind of creating the environment and hopefully having all the resources one is expecting uh, and hoping for to participate and, you know, we, we make dreams come true, what race directors do. Sounds kind of corny, but um, if we do our job well, then you don't have to think about those things. Um, that's what we do all day, every day. You just have to pay a little money, show up on time, follow the instructions and directions, and we'll take it from there. Wow. I've, I've seen those dreams come true. So it, it's a corny, but, but a reality. What a luxury. So out of all those things you have to do, what thing do you dread and what thing makes you say oh goody i can't wait to do that thing well the the area that causes the biggest concern is uh making sure that you have the right amount of supplies for for people uh, not so much that you end up with cases and pallets of leftover or you have wasted food or spoilage or shirts that are invaluable you know, an hour after the race day ends, um, particularly working for a nonprofit organization, you know, you, you don't have a lot of resources. Balancing that ordering with making sure everybody gets something that works for them. Yeah. Um, 
so so that's a tough line. Um, if you had unlimited resources, you know, you'd be fine. And then you always have to factor in the no-show factor. Many runners are surprised that for most marathons, it's between 15 and 20% of the people who register for the race don't make it to the start line for one way or the uh, for one reason or another. Um, so if you bought 100% of your shirts and finish medals, you'd be you'd have 15 to 20% left over after the race, and and that's very expensive. That's tens of thousands of dollars for in some cases of of somewhat worthless materials, particularly finish medals. I might be able to sell an extra shirt, but I can't really sell a finish medal. Um, and our medals are hand-painted ceramic finish medallion so i can't you know sell this sell them to scrap metal or right. or recycle them or melt them down or or even donate them to uh, schools and things like that they're just because they're too fragile um, so balancing that ordering um, and to meet people's expectations while also kind of meeting your fiscal budget um, and the i think the, part? the biggest the biggest joys are just seeing people at the finish line, particularly uh, kind of the changing demographic of, of a lot of road race participants are bringing in a lot of newer people who mm-hmm. may have not finished something like this before, or maybe they didn't have an athletic background, uh, didn't participate like I did all through school and after school, uh, you know, collegiate and whatever uh, as, as adults. So maybe they got into... Um, a fitness endurance lifestyle later in their life and probably never thought they could run a marathon or even a half marathon, but here they are and they did it and they made it and um, lives change at the finish line and you see those emotions, you see the tears, you see the pride, you see the, the joy, you see the relief. Uh, finally, I can stop running. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think, you know, that's, that's what fuels the soul of most event directors is seeing people have a great experience. Yeah, I, um, I, I certainly love my place. You know, the start line is so fun, seeing the excitement, the fear, you know, all those emotions there. But the finish line, I mean, I just, I genuinely love 100% of the people that come through. I'm, it's, it's almost weird, but I want to reach out. Well, some of them I actually do reach out and hug, but... I want to know all their stories. What the heck brought some of them out there? It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Everybody has a story. Everybody has a different reason for being there, whether it's just their personal fitness routine, whether it's just their lifestyle, whether it's weight management or, you know, a fitness goal where they want to run a PR, where they want to qualify for Boston, um, or whether they're honoring a loved one, whether they're raising money for a cause that's important to them or awareness or something, um, camaraderie. You know, they train together, they race together, they do a road trip together. I mean, we find a lot of that here. It's a destination, our marathon and half marathon are destination events. So it's a, let's, you know, gather up the your girlfriends, gather up your guy friends, and let's go to California. And then we'll go to San Francisco after the race and go to the Monterey Bay Aquarium or, you know, travel down the coast to L.A., um, so there's many, a million different, for everybody at the start line, they have a story, and uh, they all kind of come together, and again, hopefully, we've done a good job at providing them this environment for them to accomplish their goal, whatever it may be. Yeah, well, you guys do an extraordinary job. So one of the things that you do, and you do so well, again, you're up on the pedestal for this, is course measuring, and so... Without going too much into that, you are the you have the expert answer for people who cross the finish line, look at their GPS, and say, "Oh, this course was long. I they screwed it up." Explain that to the audience so they can chill out a little bit after their next marathon or half or whatever. Here, yes, this falls under that public service uh, <laughs> announcement. Yes, um, please. So, um, briefly, all certified road race courses are measured the same way. They're measured by bicycle uh, that is fitted fitted on the front wheel with a calibrated counter. Um, Obviously, there's a little more technical things involved, but essentially we are riding, when we're measuring a course, we are riding it the way it's available to you race day. We're not using GPS. We're not using um, 
a wheel, uh, you know, walking behind a wheel. We're not using electronic distance meter measuring. We are riding a bicycle so that our front tire can essentially be on the road where your feet are going to be on the road race day as, as much as possible. Uh, that's how all courses anywhere in the world are done. Same method, same equipment, same paperwork filled out, etc. GPSs are great devices. I use one every bike ride, every run, even swims. I use a GPS, and they are 99% accurate. And I found them to be 99% accurate, uh, not 97, 98, or certainly not 100. So that 1% is generally the difference between what you see on your GPS watch and uh, above what the race is. So if your Garmin is registering 99% of the distance, but you run the full distance, your Garmin is going to come up long. Um, so it's not at all unusual to run a certified half marathon, which is 13.10938 miles. Basically, 13.11 is what the easiest way to round it off, and a marathon is 26.22. It's not at all unusual. Matter of fact, it's expected that your GPS watch will read a half marathon at about 13.2 to 13.3 miles, and a marathon will be 26.4 to 26.5 miles. Something was probably as wrong if it doesn't read that. Um, because that's, that's what I find when I run races. That's even what I find when I measure races because I have a Garmin on my handlebars or on my wrist. And um, I'm using the numbers from my calibrated counter on my wheel, but I'm also using the Garmin to tell me what I'm getting close to a mile or to, to put waypoints so I can give the longitude and latitude to someone so they could, you know, track the... Uh, split locations in case the road is repaved and my paint has disappeared or something like that. So add 1%. That's, that's the Doug's, Doug's tip for today uh, and every day is add 1%. Um, and specifically how, how that can manifest itself for people is if you're using the function on your watch, and these watches are great. Like I said, I've, I've, I've owned dozens of them and I, I run and bike and swim in one every day. Uh, if you're using the feature uh, for your pace, like let's say you want to run a three-hour and 30-minute marathon, that's eight-minute miles. Well, if you go and according to your GPS watch, run eight-minute pace, you're actually not running eight-minute pace. You're running slower than eight minutes by 1%. And so you're not going to hit your time. Oh. You're, you're going to be over your time. So you have to build that into your adjustment. 1% of a minute pace is about five seconds. So um, you want to look on your watch, you know, 8.05 pace, uh, and I'm sorry, 7.55 pace, and that actually will be eight-minute pace. Wow. That's a lot of, a lot of technical jargon in a short amount of time. So uh, 1%. Just add 1% to your time, 1% to your distance, and that's the actual amount that you're doing. I think you just broke some brains. Maybe so. Uh, <laughs> but we, we do try to share this information on our website. It's also on the USA Track and Field website. Um, and many of my fellows uh, uh, and, and men and women in the race directing business often put something like this related to their results page or the results listing uh, because people do. They cross the finish line. They're like, oh, it says 26.4. Uh, should be 26.2. The course is wrong. I, you know, want you to adjust my time. Yeah. Um, and it just sometimes the courses are set up incorrectly or measured incorrectly. So it's, I'm not saying that every race is perfect, but generally it's not the the course. It's the difference in that one percent on on your on your Garmin. And that's that's because these are commercial grade GPSs, not military grade. So that was very diplomatic of you, and I my head explodes a little bit when I leave a race where I've seen so much effort put into it, and really everything's turned out great, and I'm fortunate to host a bunch of fantastic races who I think knock it out of the park, and then someone posts that really mean review, and <laughs> it's just, there's yeah, no... Yeah, course was wrong, yeah, Ugh, yeah. Makes me 
cranky. So what is uh, maybe the craziest complaint you've seen or feedback you've ever had from a runner on one of your races? Well, there, there are a lot of those, certainly, because there are a lot of individual circumstances where, you know, something is just misinterpreted or misunderstood. Often runners don't read the information about the race, uh, the particulars, and then they, you know, don't get something they were expecting, but that's because they were expecting it, not because, you know, the, the race said they would provide it. Uh, I think one of the most unusual comments was uh, after one of our marathons, one of the things that's distinctive about the Big Sur Marathon is we have the grand piano player uh, just after runners cross the Bixby Bridge, uh, which is halfway on the marathon course. It's, it's a tradition. He's in a tuxedo. He's playing a, a big Yamaha grand piano uh, right on the side of the road, and, and people go by and um, take pictures with him, and, and the sound is amplified. And it, depending on the wind, it can carry a, a mile or two onto the course. Well, one letter I received after the race was from a woman who was extremely offended uh, because the pianist was playing Send in the Clowns when she ran by. And she thought he did it on purpose, you know, to make fun of her. Wow. Uh, so, was she uh, wearing big, red, floppy running shoes and a red nose, perhaps? Yeah, exactly. I said, well, you know, if you hadn't uh, had that red nose and that big orange hair and those floppy <laughs> shoes and the suspenders, you know, um, so that's just one of those. Uh, another one, um, if you have time for another oh, one. Oh, I got it. Yeah. Bring it on. Uh, our course is, our marathon course is very rural. So it's a long highway one. There's not a lot of uh, people that live along the course. It's heavily wooded in places, particularly near the start, which is kind of in the Redwoods uh, near the village of Big Sur. And in their race instructions, we asked people, please don't, go off into the bushes before the race to use the bathroom. We've got plenty of porta potties, etc. Please just don't, you know, walk off. And by the way, there's poison oak. Mm-hmm. Um, which is true. It's not sure. just something we say to keep people out of there. There actually is poison oak. Um, after the race I had a, a a complaint from a woman who said, I'm Canadian. I don't know what poison oak looks like. Oh. Um I went off into the bushes, I took care of my business, and I ended up with a terrible rash in a place that you don't want a rash, and she had to get a lot of medical attention. She sent me the bill for her <gasps> medical attention, no. hoping I would reimburse her for her medical attention, and of course, she wanted her money back. Wow. Uh, and uh, the lesson to be learned for us was now in our race instructions, we have a picture of what poison oak looks like, because not everybody knows about leaves of three let it be so um i took i tried to get use that as a teachable moment that not everybody there's not i guess there's not poison oak where she lived in in canada and so she didn't know what it looked like and didn't think anything about walking through it and squatting down amongst it so charming um you know yeah so again individual circumstances where people you know maybe there's not a whole lot we can do but we try to uh to turn it into teachable moments when we can. Teachable moments. You know what? I think that if I, all ladylike Fitz Kohler, went into the woods to pee that, and I had some sort of consequence, I might keep that to myself. I might just let it go. And <laughs> I'm surprised she didn't send you photos. I'm glad she didn't. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that could have been some fun stuff. Well, Rudy now should be the... Um, the czar at the start line of making the um, the Poison Oak announcements, right? Is that his job? Is that in his script? It is part of his job, and I, I can, with ultimate certainty, uh, indicate that when Rudy is announcing the start of the Big Sur Marathon, he is making that announcement. Uh, as he watches people walk into the woods, uh, I'm sure, because, again, I understand, you know, you're hydrated, you're excited, and... You know, you maybe you don't want to get out of the, your place too far to go back into the fin, uh, start village to use a porta potty. Sure, but still, that's a big you know, burden. You gotta, you, if you do that, you're responsible for the outcome. Let's put it that way. I think so. You know, one of my favorite things about the Disney races because Disney has about 493 million porta potties, yet there's always chicks in tutus in the bushes. Yeah, 
That's exhibition. I mean, there's never enough porta potties. That's just kind of. The, I mean, everybody needs to use it several times. Um, so, you know, uh, you could have a ratio of one to one for porta potties, and, um, and everyone personalized, and there probably would still be. I think we have a bunch of. There's not enough porta potties. I think we have a bunch of exhibitionists running our races. I think that's probably it. Well, there are some common things in racing uh, that once you've done one race, you're going to do others and learn other, uh, and, and you're going to see the same things. And one of them is lines at the porta potties and people finding their own solutions to that. Oh, so solutions, um, yeah. We got solution-driven customers. So, what's the weirdest thing or the funniest thing that's ever happened to you as an athlete? Well, <clears throat> it relates. Uh, a little bit to uh, my measuring too. Uh, I I get hired to to measure other courses, um, and uh, I was living in Sacramento for for quite a while and putting on races in that area, and also uh, measuring courses for other other events. And there was a particular half marathon. Um, and I measured it. And sometimes you measure a course from finish to start because one, one is fixed and the other is variable. Um, so that's not unusual to measure a course, in a sense, backwards. And this particular race, I had measured it from the finish to the start. And then I ran the race. And it was in the country, um, kind of wine country outside of Sacramento. Um, and many of the country roads along the course looked like every other country road. They were kind of section lines. Every mile there was a road, another mile there was a road, et cetera, 40 acres. Um, and I'm buzzing along the race, and I, I'm like, I know there's a left turn coming up. So I took it, and I actually went off course on a course that I measured. Wow. Um, yeah, my friends didn't let me leave that down. I said, well, you measured the course. Why did you run off course? I got confused. It was the next road that I was supposed to turn left, but because I had measured it backwards, I got confused. And anyway, that that's um, perhaps not that humorous, but a little bit silly. Uh, uh, so I, I'm I'm victim sometimes of my own not paying attention. No, we all do stuff like that. We all do stuff. It's, um, not I, of course, ever. I never trip up on anything, Doug. You know that. No, no, I know. I've, I've never seen you uh, stumble over your words or mispronounce someone's name no. uh, or someone, particularly when you come here and we have, you're announcing at our events and we have a lot of, uh, uh, our our county is heavily Hispanic and we have a lot of Hispanic names and school names, et cetera. And uh, I've never seen you trip over any of those names. No, no. You know what I love? I love when I'm saying a school name and then you lean in and you're like, it's this, not that. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I try to quietly correct you. Yeah. Sorry, before everybody. They, uh, before I look like the a... school uh, attacks you and to correct their name. I'm the outsider for sure. However, one of the things people should know is that you make excellent whale calls. Well, we do have the our By the Bay 3K, which is our, our four to 5,000-person uh, 3K fun run the day before the marathon, largely school children and supporters of schools. So it's along Monterey Bay, and it's not unusual to see uh, a whale during the race. And that's because uh, you call for them. I, uh, <laughs> I've been uh, accused of that, and... Uh, but it's not. Uh, I I th- I think my whale call needs a lot of work. I'm going to have to go to the aquarium and uh, practice. Uh, practice that, uh, or or watch more whale videos or something like that because it definitely needs work. So um, for I think people... I think they're just attracted to your blonde hair. Perhaps when they see you at the start. <laughs> blonde uh, whales do like my hair. This is a fact. But. For anyone who's like, what's going on? So Doug and I, Doug often grabs a microphone while I'm starting those races, and I tell the kids that to keep an eye on for the whales, but Doug is responsible. He invites them, and so I like to put you on the spot. That's one of my <laughs> one of my highlights of the weekend is, how do I torture Doug? So I'm like, all right, Doug, make that whale call, and into the microphone you go, and it's it's very impressive, I think. Well, uh, if there are any race directors out there that are thinking about hiring Fitz, and I encourage you to, to think about that, be prepared. She probably will do something and call you out on something that could be quite embarrassing. Uh, but um, 
in the fun spirit of things. Um, so it's all good. That's right. You're an excellent dancer, we've learned. There's a bunch of things you're willing. You know, that's the end, at the end of the day, you just got to be willing to do whatever it takes to make the people happy. And you are willing to do whatever it takes. Well, we're here for people to have a good time. Yeah. And uh, if that means sometimes looking a little silly while we're doing it, um, you know, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So a couple of quick questions. What, when you're running or, you know, doing your triathlon, cycling events, what's your pr- favorite pre-race meal? What do you eat in the morning? Uh, I'm a pretty basic oatmeal and bagel kind of guy. Um, I do uh, a lot of long bike rides now, you know, 70 to 100-mile bike rides on the weekends. So I need some, some good fuel that's going to stick with me for a while. Um, peanut butter is certainly one of those uh, for the protein. Um, and a bagel's good, uh, oatmeal with, uh, you know, uh, some nuts, uh, and raisins, good, good fuel. Um, and then energy bars and, and, uh, goo and Gatorade. Um, so pretty, pretty typical stuff. You probably burn a hundred million calories per day, right? Have you ever had to count a calorie, Doug? Uh, sure. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I've, you know have to, to kind of watch the scale every now and then, particularly as I get older. Uh, but on some of these long bike rides, um, you just got to have that fuel. So you're just throwing coal into the furnace to keep going up these mountains and hills along, which is my common riding areas along the, the coast of California. So it's known to, uh, uh, for being quite hilly. Absolutely. All right. Where's the weirdest place you've ever chafed and what do you do about it? Well, like most men, I've I've had the uh, the the raw nipple situation, um, and of course you see those practically at the finish line of every marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, the the blood blood streaks <laughs> down down men's shirts, and um, uh, it doesn't hurt until you get in the shower, and oh. and few other things hurt quite as much. Uh, the, the shocking pain of that. Uh, so that's you know, a common chafing area, um, you know, until you figure out what to do with Band-Aids and lubricant and things like that. Um, that's been about it. I haven't had, you know, biking for many hours. Um, you know, you can sometimes, uh, you know, get some, some discomfort uh, down in the saddle region, uh, as one says. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, there are there are good products for that. Again, it's a common problem uh long-distance cyclists and there are different chamois creams and lubricants and things that you just kind of look around make sure no one's watching and put a little dab down there on certain spots to make sure that uh that there's you reduce the friction in areas that you don't want to rub raw little dabble do ya what is your little dab can do ya yeah (laughs) what's your favorite song to run to on your playlist ah good question um well, I, I am the age of the age group that I, I like a lot of um, kind of classic rock or 80s glam rock or British Invasion. I've, I've always been a big fan of David Bowie music, um, and um, one of the one of the songs uh, I like is uh, it, if there are any David Bowie fans out there, real fans, they'll know this one's called Station to Station, uh, just because it's a very long song and it starts off kind of slow with the sound of a train actually uh, that's why the station reference and it just kind of builds and builds with a lot of percussion and, and background and uh, that's that's kind of how I run now I, I start off slow <laughs> and then I back off um, uh, but uh, that's that's just a, a one that comes to mind so I, I like a lot of David Bowie songs for running and station to station is one of them that that's my kind of my go-to that's, not, that's a good choice what um who is your race director BFF? If you had another race director, who's that? Oh gosh, there's so there's so many mentors in the business, so many people that have, you know, inspired me through through again over 30, 30 years. I, I tell you one person uh, who who is a contemporary who certainly inspires me is Dave McGilvray. Um, he is has his own company, Dave McGilvery Sports Enterprises. But what he's most uh, most known for is being the Boston Marathon race director. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why he inspires me. One is his personal story. Uh, he's written a really good book about 
I think it's called the the last man chosen because he was you know diminutive in stature and you know when you're picking up you know picking teams for in high school or junior high whatever sometimes the smallest kid is the last one chosen and that was kind of his lot in life but what he did as an athlete as a runner um you know he ran across the usa he ran tons of marathons he was a fast runner but I think what's most impressive is how he has kept the Boston Marathon so sound operationally with, with his team at Dave McGilvery Sports Enterprises. But also I th- that the fact that after the Boston Marathon, he goes back out to the start and runs the race himself. That's crazy. Uh, later in that afternoon, the fact that he can physically, mentally, et cetera, go back out and run a full marathon the day after the day of the race, um, at his age too, he's, he's 60 something years old. And, um, so he's, you know, he's not a 30 year old, uh, out there doing that, although he was doing it in his thirties. I think he's run something like 35 or 40 Boston marathons. That's really impressive. So as a, as a race director, he's impressive as an athlete, he's impressive and he's just a heck of a nice guy too. Yeah, and I find he's very open to share any information he has. I like that about Dave, much like you. He, he, he is. Well, there, there's so many, you know, whether it's Kerry Pankowski and Mike Nishi in Chicago, uh, Peter Chachi in New York, Ted Metellus in, in New York, um, you know, Stacey uh, Imbertson and, and uh, Tracy Russell in Los Angeles. I, I mean, um we're all doing the same thing. That's the, that's the interesting thing about racing. This is a business. Whether you're doing the local Rotary Club 5K with 400 people or you're the race director of the Bank of America Chicago Marathon with 45,000 people, the checklists include a lot of the same things. Shirts, toilets, you know, security, yeah. uh, food, water. Uh, it's Noisy kind of basic announcers. Thing. Hiring good announcers. That's right. Yeah, uh, exactly. So it's the difference of scale, but, uh, uh, you know, we all have the same basic nuts and bolts or the ingredients we're trying to put into place. So um, if you were to run one marathon that wasn't yours, what's your favorite? You got to just pick one. Well, uh there are so many great destination races because uh, a marathon is a wonderful way to see a city. Um, sometimes it's the fastest way to see a city, right. particularly a, a, a big crowded city. I've run New York, I've run Boston, I've run Chicago, I've run L.A. Uh, I think uh, what I would run is probably uh, London. London would be an amazing uh, event to run because I haven't been to London uh, except for the airport, so I'd like to see the city by running it. Tokyo would be another, but oh, you said one, so yeah, I'll go with London. London, excellent choice. And then what do you want people... So if the London Marathon director is hearing this, uh, he can send my comp entry code to <laughs> notinyourlife.org. Oh, you know what? I bet if the London Marathon director is listening to the fitness show, which of course he or she definitely is, you're going to get that code very very maybe soon, so Doug. maybe so <laughs> and then um last but not least what do you want people to know about your races because while you are sold out in quite a few there's some room there's some wiggle room left so what do people need to know about your races well we we uh, our april weekend uh, the events do sell out all of our different distances sell out but we also have a lot of turnover each year so uh, for a marathon for example one thing that that people don't always know is 80% just do it one time. So they're, they're not coming back year after year after year because it's a bucket list. So they've, they've crossed that off their list and they're moving on to other events uh, that are on, on the next event on their bucket list. So it may, it may be sometimes difficult to get in because of random drawings and different things, but keep plugging away. We'll, we'll do our best to provide a world-class, beautiful experience for you. Um, and we're open to your suggestions and we welcome you here to the Monterey Peninsula. You have such a beautiful series of events. All, I mean, from Doug does a, a great job telling everybody about it, but it's the second you arrive in Monterey, you get it. You go, Oh, this is what everyone's talking about. The whole, 
the whole town is gorgeous. The course is amazing. Even if you bring families, that's one of the things I'd like more people to do is make sure their families and friends that they've brought along are in at least on the Saturday race. Do the 3K, do the 5K, show up and do the 5K while your loved one is doing the full marathon. But there's room for everybody and the distance options are fantastic and um, they will be treated like gold. You guys do a, a wonderful job of making everyone feel super special at your events. Well, that's kind of you to say. We, we try to, again, provide a beautiful experience uh, from start to finish and everything in between and before and after. So we welcome folks to, to come out to the Monterey area to join in any of our events. And, and Fitz, we thank you for your contribution to providing that world-class experience here. I love it. All right, folks. So listen, Doug Thurston, if you want to register for one of his races, it's BSIM.org. It stands for Big Sur International Marathon.org. That's correct. Right, Doug? That is correct. That, that's our, that will get us to our landing page, and then they can click on um, any of our four weekends or our, our Just Run Youth Fitness Program, which is a free web-based program that's available anywhere uh, anywhere there's access to a computer, which is anywhere in the world. Absolutely. You can also follow them at BSIM on Twitter, on Instagram. They're always um, showing off what they got with beautiful photos and videos and I started the podcast by telling you this, but Doug Thurston is smart, he's athletic, he's talented, he's tall, he's handsome, he's funny, and he's very, very fancy. So thank you so much, Doug, for being a guest. You're welcome, Fitz. Thanks, and good luck with your show. Thanks, everyone. And for you at home, it's time for you to get to work. Bye. Hi, this is Rudy Novotny, the voice of America's marathons. We all love how much running has benefited every aspect of our lives, so much so that most of us only wish we'd started sooner. Wouldn't it be wonderful to give the opportunity to children of today? Well, you can. The Morning Mile is a before-school walking and running program that gives children a chance to start each day in an active way while enjoying fun, music, and friends. That's every child, every day. It's also supported by a wonderful system of rewards, which keeps students highly motivated and frequently congratulated. Created by our favorite fitness expert, Fitz Kohler, morning milers across the country have run over 2 million miles and are having greater success with academics, behavior, and sports because of it. The morning mile is free to the child, free to the school, and is inexpensively funded by businesses or generous individuals. Help more kids get moving in the morning by visiting morningmile.com champion the program at your favorite school or find out more about sponsorship opportunities that's morningmile.com long may you run